Hi, and welcome back to the Teach for the Heart podcast. I'm your host, Linda Cardamus, and we're here to give you the ideas and inspiration you need to overcome your teaching challenges and make a lasting difference in your students' hearts and lives. Today's episode is one that we've been anticipating and excited about for a long time. But if I'm being honest, I'm also a little bit nervous about it too. And that's because we're going to be talking today about a challenging topic that, to be honest, I don't feel like I've figured out completely yet. I do not have all the answers on it. And so what you're going to see today is a conversation of us in progress, working through some of these questions. And so I ask up front your forgiveness and patience, as I'm sure not everything in this interview will be perfect. But once again, we want, we didn't want to wait. We cannot afford to wait until we have all the answers. We probably will never get there before we start talking about this. And so I hope that you will um, bear with us as we, as we talk through this topic. The topic that we are addressing today is racial unity, justice, and gospel hope. And what we want to do in particular in this episode is set the framework for how do we address these things, how do we look at them through a gospel-shaped biblical framework? And we're already working with one of my team members, Taryn, on an upcoming episode that's going to get into more of the practical aspect of what this looks like in the classroom, how we can um, you know, promote racial unity and unity in our classroom. But we really thought it was important to step back before we try to get into those specifics and look at What are the different philosophies that are shaping the way we discuss these questions? And how can we as Christians make sure that everything we're hearing and listening to and reading is going back through the Bible? And that is really our heart for this episode. And as you get into it, we we get into lots of like nitty gritty in it. And I just hope that throughout this episode, as you listen, you will really keep in mind like this, I will tell you right up front, this is the, the overall message that we're trying to get across. And that's that as Christians, we have to engage with issues surrounding race, racial unity, and justice. But how we do that should look very different in many cases than prevailing secular thought. You know, the things that we are hearing, reading, seeing on social media and thinking about, we have to examine all of that in light of the Bible. And we have to interpret everything through the lens of the gospel. And as you're going to see in this episode, much of what we're actually hearing and reading and seeing on social media is based on a secular philosophy called critical race theory. All right. But that is not the only way to fight against racism. And that's kind of the message we're getting in social media, that there is one way to fight against racism. And that's not true. You know, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, God offers a different and much better way to pursue unity. Now, what that actually looks like gets very complicated. It gets very nuanced. And that's where I say, we are not going to have all the right answers in this interview. I'm joined by two amazing women, Taryn, one of our team members, and Monique, who um, is founding the Center for Biblical Unity, and they both have wonderful insights. And But like I said, we are all still learning. So please forgive us. I'm sure you won't agree with every single thing that is said, but I hope that you, I hope that all of us, every single one of us, uh, have our ears open to listen, 
to hear new perspectives, but then that we're taking everything that we're hearing and seeing and reading and absorbing and take it back through scripture. And that is what we want to try to work through a little bit in this episode. It is definitely longer than usual, but I think it will be absolutely worth your time. And I'm going to play it for you now. All right. I'm so excited to have this conversation today. Uh, I'm Linda Cardamus with Teach for the Heart, and I'm here today with Taryn Mangual, one of our team members, as well as Monique Dusan from the Center for Biblical Unity. Thank you, ladies, so much for being here today. Awesome. Thank you for Thanks having, having us. <laughs> We're going to start out with just a brief introduction. Taryn, if you want to introduce yourself really quickly first, and then Monique. Sure. Um, along with working with Teach for the Hard, I also teach ESL online, and I was a classroom teacher for three years. Monique? And I am Monique Dusan. I'm the founder of the Center for Biblical Unity. Um, I've been in social service for 20 years, and now the Lord has me on a, a journey of talking about race and unity in the body. Yeah, and that's what we wanted to talk about today. Um, one of the things, obviously, this has been a topic that's been in the media, it's been on a lot of our hearts and minds. And one thing I know I've really realized is that it's something that we haven't talked about within the church, I think as much as we should. And so as I know, as I've been navigating this, as many of my friends have been trying to understand better, um, we're just, you know, we're seeing stuff on social media, we're absorbing. And I know for a while, I personally was really confused. I had a lot of things that I was hearing that sounded like, yes, this is true. And then other things that I wasn't, just didn't sit quite right. And I know for a while I was kind of wondering, is this just me? Do I just not know? Uh, is this because I'm white? Um, or is this a check in my spirit from the Holy Spirit? And I didn't, I didn't know. And I was kind of just wandering through that. And then I found Monique um, and I found one of her podcasts that really helped me realize that there are different philosophies behind different things that people are saying. And some people are coming at this from a gospel framework and some are coming at it from um, different secular frameworks. And so I wanted to have Monique on so that we could talk through this and talk about how, how important it is to engage with issues of race and injustice, but how do we do that from a biblical way? Because you know a biblical view is going to, by definition, look different from a secular view. So how can we do that? So I guess we're going to start out with kind of uh, maybe high level overview of these um, these different thoughts. And the first one, uh, Monique, what I learned from Monique is that there is a school of thought out there called critical race theory. Monique, can you just give us like a high level overview? What is this philosophy? Um, what does it look like? Well, a quick overview of it is um, critical race theory is just a critique of culture, a critique of, a critique of society, looking at who are the oppressed and who are the oppressors based on things like race. So you have a critical race theory. It comes out of critical theory, which comes out of the Frankfurt School. Um, the Frankfurt School was made up of Marxist thinkers. And so from the 30s, when the Frankfurt School was formed and this idea of critical theory came along, you, we move into things in the late 70s called critical legal studies, which looked at injustices in the legal system. And then we get critical race theory at the end of the 80s um, with Kimberly, names like Kimberly Crenshaw that had a lot to, to do with that. But it's really just a look at society and who are the oppressed and who are the oppressors within a society. Okay, so from understanding, it's looking at issues of race and other issues, social issues too, from the from the viewpoint that 
there's a group of oppressors and a group of oppressed people. And everything's interpreted through that lens. Everything's interpreted through the lens of who are the oppressed and who are the oppressors? How are people being oppressed? What are the different ways that people are being oppressed? Um, When you look at, you know, things like intersectionality, um, which is another thought within the critical race theory vein, it looks at how many different ways are people being oppressed? So um, the oppressor classes would be you know, like men oppress women. Um, it's thought that uh, um, Christians would oppress minority religions. Able-bodied people would oppress disabled people. Um, yeah, so it just, it looks at who are the oppressors within within a society based on race. Because when you look at, for example, um, ableism, that's another study that looks at how the able-bodied can oppress the disabled. Okay. All right. That makes sense. And we're going to walk out. Um, we're going to talk through like what this looks like in all the things we're seeing, you know, in social media and books and all of that um, in a minute, but we're just kind of giving out the two different viewpoints. So this is critical race theory. And then let's just for a second, for those of that are listening that don't understand this, can, what would you say, Monique, is like a high level overview of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, the gospel of Jesus Christ, according to Paul, is, you know, Jesus Christ's life, death, burial, and resurrection, the proclamation of that. That is the gospel. Um, and now we we will see things in society being conflated with that, like social justice is the gospel. But in reality, the gospel, according to, I want to say it's um, 1 Corinthians, maybe 15, it talks about Paul talks about this, this is the gospel that you have received, or this is the gospel being proclaimed, Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And so that is the gospel. This is what what we say, um, according to the historic church, and when I say historic church, which I'll probably reference a lot, I'm looking at um, beyond the Reformation, like the first 300 years of the church. What did the, the, the disciples originally believe was the gospel. And so what I do is I use that framework and look at how um, how the church, the early church handled some of these things to be able to get a lens for how we should be handling things today. What does scripture say? I want to bring scripture to culture. I'm not, I don't want to bring culture to the scripture. Yes. And I, that's what I'm so excited to kind of dive into just all these different ways and kind of compare um, what like how these different worldviews, either the gospel, the fact that, you know, we're lost and need Jesus versus oppressed and oppressor, what that looks like. Before we get into that, I was talking about this with Tara and we want to just like kind of recognize up front that these things are very nuanced. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, there's, there's just so much nuance there. We were talking, um, Tara and I were talking earlier about the, the Black Lives Matter movement, for example, and how like you can, uh, if someone were to ask me like, what do you think of Black Lives Matter? I would say, well, well, what are you asking me? Are you asking about the the belief that Black Lives Matter and that you know we need reform? Yes, I firmly believe in that. Are you asking what I think of the Black Lives Matter official organization? Well, that's a different conversation. And so these things are so so nuanced. Do, do you notice that at all in your? I don't know if you have anything to add, just the fact that they're very nuanced. It's sometimes a little bit hard to splice them. No, I do. I I think that they are nuanced. And I think that um, another thing that I generally talk about is a definition of terms. Like, what do you mean by that? It's really important to have clarity on what people mean. Um, I'm quite open that I don't support Black Lives Matter. I don't support the hashtag um, because 
when I when I hear the founders or the um, the organizers speak about it, they don't want the hashtag separated from the movement. And so with that, I am clear that while I love Black life, I can't use that. And so how do I how do I um, research, investigate, define my terms so that I can be clear in what I do so that I'm not giving a mixed message to someone else? You know, but do I love Black life? Yes. You know, it's kind of like one of those things where people are like, oh, but you're not for Black life. Well, I'm Black. You know, <laughs> like I, I really am for Black life. I just think that it's like you're saying it's nuanced and we have to be clear on our terms. Yeah. And that brings up two things. One, it brings up the fact that like, I just want to admit right off the beginning that I am learning. We were just talking before we jumped on here. We are all learning and I'm probably going to say something wrong in this interview. I just for everyone's just patience with me <laughs> in advance for that. Um, but yeah, I think I brought it. The second point that brings up is just, I think the need for honest conversation, you know, in a social media world where we're just like posting stuff, you know, like, um, just when you have someone you're like, I don't understand why you think that way. Like just sitting down and talking, you can just come realize like where people's hearts are and avoid so much, so much confusion. And like you said, like, if you just tell someone, well, I don't, I don't, I'm, I can't support Black Lives Matter. That's confusing. But if you sit down and explain it, then, you know, you can understand where that's coming from. Do you have anything to add, Taryn, before we dive into the specifics? Yes, I wanted to first kind of highlight, um, there may be a lot of Christians watching this because we um, are a Christian organization, but there may be some people who um, may still need the extra. Christ came, he died, he was resurrected, and it was to save us from our sins, which is really important, um, as I think we're going to get into um, salvation probably in this talk. So I wanted to highlight that nuance there. That is the belief that is through him that our souls are saved. It's really important. And the difference between that is the gospel versus Black Lives Matter being the gospel and the action and our role um, as far as reform. I think it's Right. Come on through, Taryn. Yes. Yes. I appreciate some clarity. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Just this. I mean, that's I mean, that's the whole point, right? That uh, that's you're going to see over and over. I hope in this conversation. Thank you for bringing that up right at the front begin, beginning, Taryn, that we are lost without Christ and he is our hope. He is our hope for unity. He is our hope for everything. He is our hope to heal everything in our hearts. And so that is um, that is the strong belief that we are bringing to this conversation. All right, let's dive in. So let's start out. We're going to compare like a secular approach, uh, critical race theory, which like I said, you'll you'll notice as we go through that you're seeing this in a lot of kind of the ideology behind a lot of um, books, a lot of social media posts, um, a lot of kind of the woke movement um, and compare it with the gospel. So let's start out with what is the fundamental problem? Monique, what would you say? Um, let's compare like do they agree at all about the fundamental problem, critical race theory versus the gospel? Where do they agree? Where do they differ? I think that the fundamental problem, according to critical race theory, would be whiteness, you know, like this system that continues to oppress um, people of color and things like that. And again, there has to be clarity of terms. So, you know, what is oppression? How are you defining that? How are you defining the systems that are doing that? But for the concise um, time, it's, you know, whiteness would be the the fundamental problem. Now, in historic Christianity, what we believe is that the fundamental problem is our sin. It's our separation from God. Um, What happened in the garden with Adam has now, you know, trickled down throughout and, and continues throughout history. Our fundamental problem is the wickedness of our heart that keeps me separated from from my creator. 
Right. So the gospel isn't saying that oppression doesn't exist. Obviously, we can can see oppressive systems and, you know, people that have been oppressed all throughout history and even today. Um, But the fundamental problem isn't oppression. The fundamental problem is sin and the fact that we've rejected God's rule and that results in oppression in certain cases. Am I characterizing that right? Yes. I mean, when you look at the New Testament, um, two thirds of like the Roman Empire, like during that time, two thirds of the people were enslaved. Like, you know, when we look at Paul's writing to Philemon regarding Onesimus, Onesimus was a slave. You know, there was there was slavery then and it, it was, you know, an unjust system. Even Paul writes to him to Paul writes to Philemon to treat Onesimus as a brother, you know. Now we can talk about things like overturning systems and things like that, but I don't, you know, personally, I'm sure we'll get into this later down the road. I don't see um, Paul saying to Philemon, you must, you know, let him go overturn the entire structure and things like that. He told him to treat him like a brother because he knew, or I, what I read into it at this point now is what I believe is that the the changing of hearts is what changes the systems. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, there, there was, you know, injustice in, in the early church. There were things that, um, persecution, you know, I, I would find that unjust, you know? So yes, there were things that were wrong during this time, but that doesn't mean that that is our fundamental problem. Our fundamental problem is our separateness from God. Right. Taryn, do you have anything to add? Yes, I do want to, there, so there's so many people who are involved in the Black Lives Matter movement who may not have even studied critical race theory. They see injustices happening and they agree that this is wrong. So there's something that um, should be done, some reform that needs to happen. Um, so I do want for if anyone's thinking that everybody who's involved in the movement have a problem with whiteness, I'm, I'm sure that that is not everybody's heart or intention. It's the idea that we want to, for example, protest, or whether it's, you know, we want to do something. I'm using a peaceful protest for an example. Um, and it's not necessarily um, everybody's heart that is against being uh, white people, but it's that they're against um, racism or, you know, um, inequality. And I think that's important to know versus having, because I think what will happen is that it's the idea that, okay, this entire situation or movement or uh, request for change is in the wrong lens. So therefore, um, you know, I just don't want any parts of it at all, which I think is important for this conversation because we have to figure out how do we have a part of it. But I don't think... That is, that I agree with everything you're saying. That the sin is the core of the whole, our whole issue and our problem. Um, I, I do know that there are, however, a lot of people involved that are using um, a lens from the heart in the sense that it's not against a specific group of people. It's against um, actions that are un- unjust. So I just want to highlight. That, that there are people there and a lot of people who are working from that, even though I know critical race theory is what brought that specific movement, Black Lives Matter, to be. Um, yeah, so that's important to, to kind of think about there as well. I think what's, what's also important is to 
you know, this is why I, I stress like getting clear um, and for there to be a biblical framework and a biblical way to pursue unity. Because what, what we find then, especially happening in the conservative evangelical church, is that people will go out into the culture and say, well, this is the way that people are fighting injustice. I have a heart to fight injustice. And so, you know, with, and part of that is defining what is injustice biblically, but um, they'll bring the CRT framework into the church and say, you know, black lives matter. This is the way that we should fight it. No, I don't, I don't hate white people or anything like that, but I'm going to jump into this movement. And without understanding, they're jumping into a movement that has no hope for unity. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's like, well, I'm, I don't, I don't dislike white people. I'm not racist. I just want, you know, to see reform in, certain areas, but truly seeing reform in certain areas, I mean, you can, you can reform all day. If there's no heart change, if we don't have a process to bring us together, then we're never, we're just spinning our wheels. And so this is where I'm concerned with people, you know, who even out of good heart say, you know, I, I'm going to support Black Lives Matter or pastors saying you should give your money to Black Lives Matter because they're Marxists, because they, they truly have no desire to see Black fathers. They have no desire to see the thriving of, of the Black family. You know, it's, it's more of a, um, a trans movement. It's more of a decline of the Black family. And in us supporting that as Christians, even in good heart, we are supporting things that are evil. And so if we don't have clarity, and if we don't define our terms and look at how you know, the early church did it. I think that we, we run the risk of bringing something very toxic into, into the church. And thanks for clarifying that. That's, um, so when you do break down all the ideas of, um, systematic oppression or just uh, oppression in general, um, it's interesting that you brought out, um, the black fathers and that it's not, you're not supporting uh, the entire family structure. I don't know if you would be able to, get into that more now or later, but one of the things also is the idea of, um, so then, you know, what do the Christian church or Christians do uh, to support biblically? I think that's important to, to talk about because there are people who think that they are doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. If, if we're supporting the wrong movement, then why? I think we're I think that brings us right to our next question, actually, which is like, you know, if, so we're trying to kind of, I'm I'm so glad you guys are talking like both talking this through because I think this is what's what's so hard about this is we I hope everyone listening to this like has a heart to help. Like I feel like this whole George Floyd situation has really shined a light in a way a lot of us have never really seen. Like we're we're realizing like wow, this is a bigger at least a lot of well, you have to say white <laughs> like Christians are realizing like wow, this is a bigger problem than we realized and we want to help and that's where um starting to, you know, tr- we want to help and so the resources that we're seeing out there, I think sometimes we don't realize have are coming from a certain lens. Um, and it doesn't always jive with the Bible. And the thing is, like, God created the universe. And so if something, if the way we're trying to approach the problem and the solution is not the way, is not God's way, 
it might make a little bit of change, but it's not going to be as powerful as, as the way that God intended. So um, I, I am, ex- let's keep exploring this so that we talked about what is the fundamental problem? Is it oppressed groups? Is it whiteness or is it sin and rejection of God's rule? Um, so what about Monique, what would you say is the answer or the solution to the problem? Obviously that's like a whole nother conversation, but in a nutshell, what's the difference between a critical race theory approach to the answer solution versus like the gospel approach? Um, I think the critical race theory approach would be to become woke, to understand oppression, um, to divest yourself of whiteness, to become anti-racist, which would be to do the work of, you know, actively dismantling racism and racist structures, where the the answer according to scripture is Jesus. Like it's understanding my own sin, repenting of my own sin, getting in a relationship with Jesus and, and following the laws of Christianity and, and, um, and scripture, like allowing Holy spirit to change my heart. And as my heart is changed, I'll organically want to talk to someone else and tell someone else, but, but it is my personal relationship with Jesus. It is um, repenting of my sins. Jesus is the answer for, for what we see in our culture today. Yeah. And And I mean, that isn't to, to be like, you know, uber religious and be like, well, you know, it's just Jesus and nothing else. You know, I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that the starting point has to be Jesus. And if the starting point isn't Jesus, what we will see time and time again is just a, a hamster wheel spinning because culture, again, it, they don't have, culture does not have the answer to bring us to unity. Right. So you're saying it's not, we're not saying that, you know, you simply, it, it doesn't end when you accept Jesus, it starts when you accept Jesus. And then he changes your heart. He changes how you want to relate, relate to others. He puts us into fellowship with each other. Uh, it's so it's, it's, you're saying it starts, that's where it starts. And then he works that out in us. Yes. From the, from the critical race theory perspective, it's, it's much of a secular humanist, um, type of framework. So I can do it. I can be good. And, and, you know, fix a structure. If I read this book, then I'll become more aware. If I divest myself of whiteness and participate in anti-racist movements, you know, then I'll be able to fix these issues. Well, the, the heart is wicked, you know, and all of my actions, no matter what I do, cannot change the, the condition of my heart. You know, my, like my heart is wicked and, and it's prideful. It is, it is um, plagued by sin, you know, and, and I can repent and I can, um, you know, believe and trust God and, you know, do things that, you know, pray that change my heart. And I believe that Holy Spirit does change our hearts and there's still work that will need to be done in my own heart. So I, without Jesus, I won't be able to to um, bring about, I feel like, the change that the world really needs, um, and especially not from like a secular humanist perspective. Just being good isn't going to be enough. All right, let, let's couple this with the next question, and then we can kind of discuss it a little bit, because so, they kind of go together. The next question was, like, what is the ultimate goal of, like, you know, change? What What are we trying to accomplish? What would you say, like, how do, how do those compare or differ the critical race, like ultimate goal for society versus the gospels, like ultimate goal for humanity? I think the ultimate goal and Taryn, you can definitely um, 
tell me what you say, but I, what I see is that the ultimate goal is almost like this utopia, this place where everything is equitable. We're all, we're all receiving the, the same results, um, where there's this, this equal measure, um, you know, throughout all of society, among all the races and things like that. Um, to me, the ultimate goal in, in Christianity is that you come into fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Like that, to me, that's, that's the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is, is the salvation of my soul, that I would have relationship with the Lord. Yeah, I thought about, I'm interested in what you have to say of this, Taryn, too, but um, I've, I've thought a lot about this and I, you know, we talk about that, that dream of utopia. I think that's in all of our hearts. We like all want that society where everything is just and fair and right. And, and that's because God put that in our hearts. Mm-hmm. But we see in the Bible that that will happen when King Jesus reigns. <laughs> but the fact is that we don't, like our society does not want God's rule. We've rejected as a society God's rule. And it's so ironic that the solution that our society wants is found in Christ. When we live under his structure that he's given us, that is what happens. Like, like that, like he wants that society, like he wants that, that just and equitable and everyone getting along. Like that is exactly what God wants. That's what he created for us in the garden. And that's what we said no to. And that's what he's trying to put back together and what he will put back together one day um, in the new heaven and the new earth. So that is going to come, but it comes when we submit to Jesus. And so I think on a macro level as a society, but that's why the church can and should be like such a beautiful picture of this, of, of races and ethnic groups and different, um, you know, um, levels of money and all these things like getting along together. I mean, it should, it should be a picture of, of that. Um, do you guys have any other like thoughts on that regard or? Yeah, I, I really, I agree that we can do nothing without um, Jesus, his salvation and him being um, reigning over us and, and really being the true king of, of this world because he is. And I, um, I also know, and this is where I'm torn, so I also just ask for grace as well, not torn definitely from um, having the Holy Spirit lead me. Um, and I do know that once we fully accept Jesus, we have the fruit of the, the spirit and it uh, leads us to love. It leads us to to want to do things versus I'll give you an example of the, the famous story in the Bible, the Good Samaritan, how the priest and the Levite passed by a man who was robbed and beaten. But it was a Samaritan, the lowly person that people really, the Israelites didn't really have much respect for. And feel free to please correct me if I'm wrong. That helped him and uh, took him to an inn, healed his wounds, etc., and really did work. And this is a story that Jesus told and said that this is an example of how we should live our lives. Or, you know, and there are other examples that were mentioned in the Bible, if he said, um, you know, giving to the hungry or et cetera, he gives examples of what we should do. So this is also, I guess, in my heart, what I'm thinking uh, is then, so I feel compelled to help and support. Um, I do think that um, I'm not necessarily believing in utopia until Jesus returns. I think that's the quest and the longing for heaven. Um, however, I do feel that God put into my spirit to want to 
um, help those that feel that need um, support. And I do feel when we're talking about race, the black community is suffering a lot at the hands of um, injustices and police brutality, all these things. It doesn't end there, but those are some examples. And I just feel that I would be a Levi or someone walking by uh, had I not stopped in my life. And it's a little inconvenient. It can be inconvenient, can push us away from our normal everyday. And it's easier for me to just say, I'm going to love my, my neighbors or people around me. And I think that's very important as well. But what do I do with a person who doesn't seem to be, uh, who needs a lot more help? Am I going to just say, I don't really have time for it? Or even if um, I could even relate to the person. And so as a Black person, I feel like maybe that's why <laughs> it's important to me as much. Or maybe that's why it's in my... Um, frame of reference as much because my whole life I've been taught different things and experienced things myself. So it could just be my life experience. However, um, there are a lot of people who are not Black who still care and support and may still um, not really know what to do. And I feel that we don't talk about it a lot at church. And I guess that's the next step. This is, I'm there. I'm at church. <laughs> you know, I want to be there. I want to grow. I pray and have my own relationship with God. Um, but I kind of would feel... Um, like I'm not really following the Holy Spirit if I don't do anything in the culture, in my society. Um, I feel that there are definitely structures that should be in place. I'm not necessarily sure if God wants them in place based on race, for example, um, that we could equally have experiences and a chance for positions of power and things like that. Meaning if you're by positions of power, I just mean being in the government or, you know, um, police officer, different things like that. And it doesn't have to be a skew based on race or structures in place um, with neighborhoods, different things that we, you know, I don't want to dive too much. There's so many layers, but I do believe that God's a love the world and he loved us equally. And I feel like we should actively strive for that, but I don't think we're going to know. I don't think we ourselves as humans can get it on our own. But I guess what I would like to know from the church more, or even just leading by example, what do we do then with that? Like, what should be our role in all of this is my question. Okay. Wow. You said a lot, girl. I'm like, Ooh, okay. 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 Um, no, so you might, I'm, I'm only saying that because you might need to, to come back to some things for me. Um, please. Um, one of the things that, that you hit on is, you know, that you have a relationship with God and you want to do these things. And I think that that's huge and important and where it starts. So it, it's like, I think that some people who adopt this framework, because they are created in God's image, they reflect their father. And so this idea of, I want to do justice, I want to make sure that people are not experiencing partiality, which would be the, like the biblical term of racism, this partial treatment, these are things that are are in scripture. You know, there's a, there are things in CRT that overlap with scripture. Mm -hmm. People should be treated with dignity, value, and worth. They, they, um, you know, are, have in, in intrinsic dignity, value, and worth, you know, so we should be treating people with honor and with respect. 
Now that's good and fine. But when you go about that without having the mind of God, we can get into a a little rough situation because now I'm going to start doing things based on how, how I feel. My passion is now leading the charge. We can't be led by the passion. We have to be led by the scripture, by the mind of God. And that's where my personal relationship with God comes into play and into practice. And, and not only my personal relationship with, with God, but then, you know, my community, my church community, us reading scripture and understanding, getting into things like apologetics so that we can understand this is really what the scripture is saying. Because people right now are taking the term justice and throwing it all over the place. Mm -hmm. If the church adopts that, if we only adopt this term justice without clearly defining it, we will find ourselves adopting things like minority religions. We'll be adopting things like LGBTQ. We'll adopt the idea that children are now oppressed because adults are being seen as oppressors, all in the name of justice. And so this is where I'm saying, you know, it, it's okay to have to have that passion because we are created in his image. Now I have to go to him and say, okay, well, what did you mean by that? How do you want me to walk that out? When we talk about things like systemic oppression and systemic racism, what are we clearly saying? Where do we see these systems at within society? Are they still on paper or have they by and large been eradicated on paper and we're seeing the byproduct of man's heart? How do we govern a man's heart? These are these are the questions that we need to to ask, because by and large, when you look at things like um, redlining or um, like educational practices and things like that, what you find is that these things have been erased on paper. Their, their laws have been passed to say, you know what? No, this is wrong. But then you can, for example, get into the banking system and see that you know, certain clients only want to work with white people, you know? So now I'm a bank manager or I'm, I'm a regional manager. And I know that the white clients really want to work with the, the white bankers. And so I keep a system in place. Well, it's not on paper. They're not doing anything illegal on paper, but there is a system in place. Mm -hmm. So how do I speak into that? but we have to be bold as Christians. Pastors have to be bold. They have to be uh, aware and they have to be bold. And when I say aware, I mean aware and understanding two things. The scripture, what does the scripture say regarding favoritism, partiality, um, justice? And then what do, what am I teaching? How am I aware of what's happening within my culture? And so speaking that into the congregation, if I'm the bank manager, I have to say, you know what? I might be willing to lose a few clients. Y'all gonna have to go on over to, you know, bank B over here because I'm not going to uphold a system of partiality. So I do hear you when you say like, well, by and large, the church has been silent. I would push back on that a little bit because I think the liberal church has been quite open to these ideas. And you see the progressive liberal church, even from the 60s, having adopted some of these frameworks, even though CRT didn't become an official theory until the late 80s. Um, It's been the conservative evangelical church, I feel that has, you know, not addressed this, not spoken deeply. And when I say the conservative evangelical church, I'm not even trying to say every conservative evangelical church, because I do think that um, many have. When we look at the the SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention, um, or the Southern Baptist Church, they have tons of work and writings on 
race and racism and how they have taken steps to be able to to stop those practices. Um, and then you wait, you mentioned something else. Um, oh, one another thing I was going to say was looking at looking at systems we also need to understand how are how is everyone being impacted so it's not just that there are systems that impact black people and keep black people down but there are systems that impact white people that also keep white people down one of the things that that I feel so strongly about when looking at critical race theory is that it it's a framework that really divides us it keeps us looking at black and white it keeps us looking at white and people of color and people of color, because we're, we're deemed the oppressed, we never really sit and look at how systems impact whites. And there are many things that, even if it's not legal on paper, it impacts white people too. As Christians, there is one race. And so how do we come to church with the understanding that there is one race and we should be looking at how people are now impacted by inequalities, disparities, those kind of things. And again, looking at that through the lens of scripture with a clear definition of our terms. I think that there's a lot to be understood. And I think that there's a lot that I would say needs to be proven. And so like statistically, what are these numbers? When I look at the numbers, I can see, yes, okay, this group puts this out, but then this group puts out something completely different. How are we going to the heart of the truth. You know, what is what is the truth behind this injustice? And are things like equity biblical? We find equality in scripture because we are all created equally with dignity, value, and worth. But when Jesus addresses equality, he says that it's, or when Paul addresses equality, I'm sorry, he says that Jesus did not find equality even something to be grasped with God. So how do we, how are we wrestling with these things? I don't believe that equity is a biblical concept that we all receive or have the same outcome. The poor you will have with you always. So when, when I hear things like, we need to receive, we need to have more equitable outcomes. Like how do we, how do we achieve that? What is, what does that even look like biblically? And is that just? From my experience and what I believe equity to be, and I could be wrong, is that you look at the person's need and that's what you support. So I'm not giving everyone the same exact thing because everybody has different needs. So, I mean, in my head, I kind of see that as being a, a, a right uh, thing as far as the way I treat people, um, just because uh, one person may be hungry, I don't need to give both people food if one person mm. didn't need it and they needed something else. So that is the lens that I, I come from when I'm thinking yeah. of equity is that individual need, and that's where I give support. No, that makes a lot of sense. I, and, and I hear you. Um, I think when I, when I approach equity or when I think about equity, I'm thinking about it like with everyone having the same outcome or the same, um, yeah, the same outcome. Um, but even then, you know, it's when, and I, I've worked in the, the area of homelessness and um, different veins of social service for years. And when I, when I think about that, you know, I, getting, even getting people to have some type of equitable outcome in social service, in the secular realm of, of social service is, you know, a feat that's impossible. And the the methods that we need to use to get there, are they biblical methods? Is, is you know, a, a 
consideration of mine. So in giving someone food, like I'm all for giving food, I've given food, you know, forever, but I'm like, okay, so is it just that I'm giving you something now? What is the, what does the scripture say about that? Like, how do we get food to, to poor people? How do we get food to the disabled? Are they the same or are they different? Does it need to be, you know, um, because what I'm afraid of, I think, um, is the idea that we don't consider choice in all of this. Like the word says, if you don't work, you don't eat, you know? So how do we look at that in light of, you know, doing justice at the same time? So I don't know. And these are things that I'm still wrestling through too, you know, like I, I came out of a CRT worldview. And so, you know, when, when, when you talk about like giving food or, you know, helping the homeless or, you know, being the good Samaritan, my heart definitely, you know, it's like, yes. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, but how, how does, what does this look like in regards to upholding someone's inherent dignity, value, and worth? You know, because if, if I am involved in a social program, sure, that might be the best way to uphold the dignity, value, and worth of someone. But I could also be involved in a social program and that removes someone's choice. That removes the dignity because it doesn't require them to work. And in work, work is, um, part of the created order. We had work before we had the fall. Right. Yeah. And choice is important too. (laughs) Yeah. What I'm hearing in this whole conversation, tell me if I'm summing this up right, is that like, we are not at all saying that it's like, sometimes when people hear the gospel, they think it's literally just telling people about Jesus. Like that is only the beginning of the gospel. What we're saying here is that the truth of scripture and the truth of the gospel should change how we address homelessness, how we address, how we look at statistics, how we engage with people on a, on an individual level, how we advocate for change. It should, we have to like kind of examine everything that we're doing and think, you know, is this coming from a framework of, you know, am I just absorbing what I'm, what I'm hearing from culture or am I taking everything I'm hearing back through the lens of scripture and thinking about it from like through this perspective. And so we're not at, so, so a gospel framework does not say sit by and do nothing, does not say, you know, just, you know, just trust God and, and close your eyes and, and let, let, you know, people be heard and abused. It's, it's saying though, that we, um, like I said, we just, we think about it and we realize their deepest need is Jesus. And then we look to help where we can, right? I mean, God calls us to be light and salt and to make a difference where we're called, you know, as, as we're, well, this is to teachers, you know, you're in your classroom, you can make a difference in your classroom. I tend to say that, um, you know, the gospel is, like I said before, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, That is gospel. There is nothing else that we can add to it. Love your neighbor as yourself is law. So when we get, when we come into that relationship with Christ and as we grow in our relationship, as we get into scripture, we will obey the commands of scripture because we see, especially those that we see repeated in the New Testament. You know, we see love the Lord your God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, If I love you, I want to see you eat. You know what I mean? Now, because I love you and I want to see you eat, I will, you know, and I'm, and I'm unified with you. And especially in the church, in the church, we are brothers and sisters. 
So I definitely want to be in oneness with you. I'm going to pursue that. I want to see you eat. You know, I want to uphold your dignity, value, and worth. And so that will will compel me, or it should compel me. But we get into conversation with the Lord on how those things work out. Right now, what I see is culture demanding, this is what you should do. This is what you must do. We get memes like white silence is violence. Well, what about James 1, you know, 119, where it says, be slow to speak. You know, what if what if I'm wrestling through some of those things? We can't bring the culture and lay it on top of scripture. We have to bring the scripture and look through scripture into culture and figure out this is what aligns and this is what doesn't. But um, I do believe that as we are in relationship with the Lord, that will will be compelled to move to love. All right. Wow. That was so helpful to just hear all, all these things. There's just so much to consider. Let's let's try to keep going into, we're going to talk about, um, and we'll try to move a little bit more quickly through these sections of just, once again, let's kind of compare. So with this in mind, we, we're talking about how we can engage, how we're going to engage with these issues. Let's try to parse a little bit more um, just what the two different viewpoints look like so that when we see it in our own hearts and social media, we can recognize it and reframe it in light of scripture so that we're coming at these issues that we're engaging with our students and with government officials and our voting and everything is impacted by um, scripture first and foremost. So the next question we had was, let's let's compa- contrast, Monique. Um, how does each um, view power dynamics? Okay, so um, I think, gosh, and I'm not really sure how to to answer this one. Um, CRT would would present that power right now is held by the majority. It's held by whites. Um, and according to scripture, power, you know, ultimate power and authority is God. And then we see the, the father, um, the father figure, like in the home and things like that. Parents have authority over their children. Um, the husband is the head of the household. He's the head of, um, like over the wife and things like that. And so those are a bit of different views in power. Um, Again, which is why, for me, an organization like Black Lives Matter would be antithetical to the gospel because they um, are not for the nuclear family, which was set up back in Genesis. And so, you know, if if that is if that's their come from, that would be you know directly opposed to to scripture. So you're saying that critical race theory framework is kind of trying to eliminate almost all hierarchy, like kind of just getting rid of. Like the idea, the role of like father figure, like thought, like not getting rid of fathers, but like. I I don't believe that everyone who holds to critical race theory, and and there are many different um, thoughts, I feel like within critical race theory. So certain people hold this, certain people hold that. But um, when I I look at Black Lives Matter as an organization, I was just going back to a comment that I made earlier. So when when I look at that as an organization, I can't support that because they are not in support of the nuclear family. That is to me stark in stark contrast to um, to the the Christian scriptures. Now, um, does all of CRT want to get rid of every power structure? I think that there is definitely a critique of power structures, a critique of the hegemony of the like the white male patriarch and things like that. So you'll hear things in culture that says we need to you know get rid of white male patriarchy. 
Um, some, oh gosh, someone, not Joy Behar from The View, um, but someone recently made that comment publicly that we need to get rid of white male patriarchy. Well, the white um, Christian heterosexual male is con- is considered to be the most oppressive um, group of people right now, especially when you look at things like intersectionality. So what does it mean to, to have hierarchy? Hierarchy is something, and power is something that we see in scripture. No, we don't see, um, you know, a system where everyone is just, you know, on the same field. I think that the, the priest is over the church, you know, in, in scripture. There are levels of power that we see reflected through scripture. Do you mind briefly telling us how um, there is a lack of support within the movement with the family, the nuclear structure of the family? Um, I think within, gosh, within the Black family or within family in general? Well, you were speaking of, uh, I think you were saying those who organize or some of the organizers in the movement is not really supportive. And I just wanted more clarity onto um, what um, is really unsupportive of the, the family structure or not supportive. So when you go on their website, um, there is, there's a, like a paragraph that talks about, um, not like not supporting the, the nuclear structure of the family and having more of a tribalist kind of family where everybody kind of comes together and, and does that. But their, their, their format, um, for looking at the nuclear family does not, it's not supportive according to how scripture defines the nuclear family. What Black Lives Matter actually supports is the trans movement and the Black trans. And so again, there's another layer or level where it is, um, you know, antithetical to, to our, our Christian worldview and, um, especially like the historic Christian worldview. Now I know like, um, in, in progressive Christianity and things like that, you'll find, you know, support for LGBTQ movements and things like that. But when we look at the early church, and when I say early church, again, I'm focusing on like the first 300 years of the church. What did they believe? Mm-hmm. Those things weren't part of, of scripture. They weren't part of the belief of the church. And so when I, again, when I look at BLM and I look at scripture and what's been taught, those things don't, don't align. Okay. So, so it's just something, so this is something that as we're listening, we need to be aware of, um, is, is, is what, is what being said just in opposition to power structures, like at all, is it, is it, you know, in opposition to the biblical role of the family? Um, and just once again, like kind of parsing that in our mind, right? Like we don't, we don't want to absorb that. We want to recognize And again, you know, not everyone, I think to Taryn's point, not everyone who supports BLM is opposed to a nuclear family. Right. I'm, I'm, but this is why I can't, you know, get on board with the organization because their stand is this. Mm -hmm. And this is why I think that Christians need to be aware, understand um, the organizations that they're supporting. What are they backing on social media? Um, Because a lot of people don't parse these things out. They aren't looking at the nuanced pieces of this. So as Christians, we really have to be careful in what we present and what we put forward as we are also proclaiming the name of Jesus. Absolutely. All right. Next thing I have is what about like identity? Um, How do each of these perspectives define people and their identity? What does critical race theory say um, versus the gospel? 
critical race theory would say that we are oppressed and oppressors. It is just a constant look at who is being oppressed and who is who are the oppressors. Um, Christianity says that we are brothers and sisters. If you are in Christ, if you're in Christ and you are brothers and sisters, um, in John, Jesus prayed for our unity. He says he, that he's given us what we need for unity. And that word unity is oneness. And what he gives us is the Holy Spirit. So he said he gave us the glory. And I, I am persuaded to believe that that glory is the Holy Spirit because in, in earlier in, in John or, um, yeah, I think it's earlier in John, I think maybe chapter one, where he says that, um, you know, everything that was created was created through the word. It was created through Jesus, but this glory was actually with Jesus in the beginning. And so if that glory was with Jesus in the beginning and the only father, son, and Holy spirit that were there in the beginning, I'm persuaded to believe that that glory that we've been given is the Holy spirit for our unity to hold us into oneness. When we look at, um, Ephesians, it talks about the adoption, that we are brothers and sisters. And so this um, this idea of identity starts with an equal playing field because we are brothers and sisters. Brothers and I, you know, I don't have, there's no um, hierarchy in in the kingdom when it when it comes to my my relationship with someone else. We stand at an equal ground because we're brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love that so much. I mean, um, just it's, it is such a different way, though. I think we like if if it's hard to be unified when we're viewing each other as these different groups versus when we're focused on what you know what God says about us. You know how God calls each of us loved. We're all in His image. We are all you know His 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 unique His unique creation. And then in the church, so that's everybody. Even if you're not a believer, you're you know we're in the image of God. Everyone is valued for that. And then within the church brothers and sisters, like there's, there's no stronger unity than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, gosh, um, when we, when we consider ourselves brothers and sisters and we have this unity, have, you know, that desire to have, you know, un- being unified in mind and in spirit. Um, Paul talks about this. He, he goes, oh gosh, maybe it is in Ephesians. Um, it's gosh, either Ephesians, I feel like we're Philippians where he says, then make your, um, then, what does he say now? Hold on. I'm going to get it. But there's, there's this outworking of the unity. You know, how do you display the unity? It's by keeping one mind and one spirit through um, the bond that we've been given, you know, have this, this unity. Now, how do we walk it out? We are brothers and sisters. Now, how do I walk that out? I think that's a very different perspective than CRT that says oppressed and oppressor you're not unified and we won't be unified until the oppressors do this work and come to the table to help meet some demands. That's a a very different look than what scripture says. Um, With oppressed and oppressor mentality, as long as you wear this certain skin, you will continuously be a part of a system, you know, whether you know it or don't know it, that continues to oppress. There's no place to meet. We're going to continue to pass each other. I am not holy enough to sit down with my oppressor. If I think you're my oppressor, we don't have other conversations. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, I'm just not there. But when I see you as my sister, we can have common ground. There's a place for us to meet, even if we don't always agree. Yes. Yeah, Monica, I think what you're saying about unity is so um, powerful because I do believe that there are people 
uh, out here. And that's the heart. That's the goal is, is for unity. I know myself included for sure in the way I try to, to live my life. But I think if we were out there and that was the prevalent message, um, because you know, we do have these opposed and we have, you know, people saying Black Lives Matter and All Lives Matter. And of course, All Lives Matter. Um, but I think what they're saying is that, you know, uh, with everything that's been going on, Black Lives Matter too, or just minority, you know, every life matters. But then you have these people in conflict about what to say. But I think if the message was more of unity or let's unite or things like that, like what a powerful impact that will have, and it will be sending the right message because, you know, my hope is that that is the goal is, is for unity and for everyone to lead out of, of love, you know, through knowing. Uh, and I think everybody doesn't know that about the Christian stance is that we are um, for unity. And I think some people are sending the message that Christians are, are dividing or separating or, you know, not loving everybody. They don't um, welcome everyone or we don't welcome everyone. And I, I think that, the, the message that you're saying is true and it's definitely a lot more powerful than um the separation of the groups and hope of, of the utopia that linda you were talking about earlier so, so you kind of can't even get there anyway if you're looking at everybody as separate so yeah and and when you think about you know to use your words like christians don't welcome everyone again it's like this inclusion narrative where it's like yes i i can honor your dignity value and worth and i can also hold to truth that mm -hmm. says i cannot affirm this minority religion if you choose to participate in this, you know, sexual sin, while I can honor, you know, the dignity, value and worth intrinsic to your being, I cannot affirm that. But what we aren't understanding is that the critical race theory format, while it is, if it was like a train, the, the, the driving engine would be critical theory. And then behind that, you would have critical race theory. But then right behind that, you would have like third wave feminism, LGBTQ, ableism. Um, gosh, is, is it called adultism? But like this idea that adults are oppressive, they're all interconnected. So as, as a critical race theory person, if I say, you know, we need inclusion and everyone should be included. Well, how do I now parse that out when the Muslim now says, well, I should be a part of your church and I should also be included in this conversation and I should be able to present my, my views from the pulpit. Mm -hmm. We have to be careful. Or when, you know, we say, well, we're all about tolerance and love. Well, if you're all about tolerance and love and inclusion, then I should, you know, as a, a trans person should be able to get in the pulpit and, and, and say my piece. You should, you know, accept my truth. The idea, and I think we're going to get to this, so I don't want to jump too far ahead, but the idea of truth and objective truth is, is kind of like, well, what is it? Where, where is it? You know, because it's all about the experience of the oppressed person. We have to be careful of what we're accepting. Right. Yeah, that's true, too. It's one thing to, and it's true, you know, the, the call is to love everybody. Um, but that doesn't mean you're not um, holding up to what Jesus, uh, the truth that, that we have and the biblical truth. So I think that's the, the purpose today, too, is to make sure that we're keeping the biblical framework um, and still um, supporting the idea that some things are just unethical that are happening in our world. Um, and what do we do? So, yeah, I think that's very, 
uh, important lens, but also things to separate to keep in mind too. Right. Our unity is found in the gospel and in the Bible. Like that's how we as Christians can be united. Like when we all choose, like, you know, we all trust in Christ. Like that's where our unity comes from. It comes from, even if we have different backgrounds and different like views and all these, you know, minor things, like we are unified in the gospel and we are unified on the Bible. So yeah, we're not, we're not going to find that unity by, by turning away from the Bible. We find it, we find it in, as we, as we all move towards the Bible, we find that unity stronger and stronger and stronger. Monique, you were just um, alluding to the thing we wanted to talk about next. And uh, we had a bunch of other things, but I think we'll just kind of probably make this our last main point here. Let's talk about the difference between how each perspective views what you said about truth and moral statement. Like, I don't know, this is one of the most obvious things I've seen just on social media. Like, who gets to decide what is true? Who gets to decide what is right and wrong? Um, How does this work out in different viewpoints? Well, I think um, what we're seeing in culture right now is the idea of the truth of the oppressed person, the truth of um, the minority. You hear things like my truth, um, that we should not question the the truth of the person who has been the victim of racism, that we can and should just accept this belief, accept the, the narrative, the truth, whatever that story is. Um, and in Christianity, we see that the ultimate truth is scripture. The ultimate truth is the word of God. And um, we can, again, look at what is good, true, and beautiful from the, the lens of scripture first. When we want to um, like find out the truth of a matter, we will go to witnesses. You know, Let every matter be established through two or three witnesses. So there are some, some differing beliefs on, on truth. When you look at things like microaggressions, um, for example, microaggressions will say that the person who is the victim of the microaggression is going to speak the truth from their experience and that truth should be believed. Whether the, the perpetrator of the microaggressions are aware or unaware of what they may have been you know, participating in, there is no need for witnesses and it um, assumes motive of heart. These are things that are, again, not in line with the Christian worldview. We, um, we see Paul saying that no one should be assuming the motive of heart, that you know, Christ is the judge. We see that every, um, every matter should be brought with two or three witnesses before it's confirmed. And so, again, the, the idea of truth, the, the, the lens for objective truth really isn't there in our culture right now. Yeah, and I've seen this on social media things saying, you know, hey, if if you're told if if you hear that some if a someone of a minority like says something to you, that's true. Full stop. You know, yeah. it's just as Christians, like we we cannot like we cannot cede that ground. Like the truth is found in the in scripture. Now I do believe we need to be we need to be, like you said, quick to listen and slow to speak. Like we need, I think this is definitely a time to like really just like listen and like hear people's heart and like sit down with them and like like tell me your like if they want to share their story like really to listen to it with an open heart and a compassionate heart and really love people in that way so i'm not saying you know we just ignore what they say but to realize that we are all are nobody no we need everybody's perspective, but like you said, no one has, the only true, true source of truth is the Bible. That is, we, we have to take everything back through that. Um, and if someone says something that disagrees with the Bible, we, we can't see the Bible just because they are part of a, of a certain group. Am I understanding that right? 
Yeah, what I would say is that while I can be empathetic, I also have to be committed to truth, you know? And so I can listen to your story. I can be empathetic with your story and I can also ask questions, you know? And I can also ask you, well, have you considered this, you know? Or maybe it wasn't racism. Maybe that person had, you know, a whole nother thought on their mind when the door closed on you or something like that. But I think what we automatically jump to in this current culture is that everything is racist and it's based on my experience as the minority person. Well, that doesn't leave any room for benefit of the doubt. That doesn't leave any room for, for love and for reconsideration for, you know, someone else. My father-in-law just a couple of weeks ago was in Home Depot and he was, he got, he like couldn't find what he wanted to. So he was like wandering all throughout the store, finally found what he wanted, left the store and a um, a gentleman approached him and accused him of following his and his son, um, a black gentleman, uh, because they didn't like because he didn't want him to be there. Like, accused him of following him all around the store, and was just so convinced that he was being racist and following him around the store. And he was just trying to explain, like, I, I didn't even know you were there. I didn't even see you. I was looking for my thing. So, so yeah, just I don't know. That was just an example popped in my head of what you were saying. How sometimes no, and again, it doesn't call you know. for witnesses. You know what I mean? Like I'm just looking for the light bulbs. <laughs> you know, just looking for the light bulbs, trying to do my thing. And now all of a sudden, it's escalated to this place of racism, where the the person who is the supposed victim now is in the position of truth. So I think, yeah, just bear, like you said, bearing with each other, um, having compassion for each other, I think is so important. All right. Well, we, there, oh my goodness, we could go on forever and ever, but we've taken up so much of your time already. Um, Monique, no, do you want to like, let's finish up kind of with like, what would you say is some of the ways forward to unity? Um, obviously all of this, and just so those of you that are listening know, um, this is kind of like our first discussion. We wanted to set the framework. Taryn and I are already working on some podcasts together for, to walk this out. Like, what does this look like in the classroom? Um, what does inclusion look like from a Christian perspective in the classroom? But um, I don't want to end here without saying, do you have anything that you recommend? What are some things that that we can do or should be doing um, to pursue unity from the right perspective? I think it starts out with honor. How do I honor someone else? How do I honor their dignity, value, and worth? It doesn't matter if they're, you know, from a religious minority group or, you know, um, LGBTQ or the Christian brother and sister. How do I honor them? Um, That's a conversation. What do I say about my own identity? Um, Understanding my identity is going to be like so important in moving forward. How do I see myself? How do I, how does that impact how I see others? Getting into a conversation with the Lord about your own bias, um, about my, like I have to, you know, get in the conversation with the Lord about my own bias. We were human. And so we have bias, we have pride, we have, you know, things that we need to be, be having conversations with the Lord about it. You know, Luke says, you know, if, how can, how can you go and talk to your brother about the speck in his eye when you have a log in your own, you know, Lord, what is the log in my eye that's preventing me from potentially pursuing unity biblically? I would say define our terms, get clear about what we're talking about. How are we defining things like systemic injustice? How are we defining oppression? You know, what, what does the Bible say about that? What does the Bible say about justice and how we are to walk that out? Um, I think those are those are some of my my things right off the top of my head. But getting into a conversation with the Lord and um, understanding your identity and defining your terms 
is going to be huge, like huge steps. And because that will lead to the practicalities. You know, if, if I'm clear on who I am, I'm clear on what I should be doing. Mm-hmm. If I'm clear on what scripture says and who I am, I'm clear on what I need to do. And it's not the do like critical race theorists or social justice warriors put forward this Jesus plus narrative. No, I have Jesus and that Jesus compels me to, to participate, to love my neighbor as myself. I like to eat. So if I'm going to love my neighbor as myself, I'm going to make sure you eat. We probably going to start at the table. You know, that is going to be it. If I don't want to experience partiality. So I'm going to look and see where my neighbor, no matter what their skin tone is, like what, what their skin tone is, I'm going to look and see, well, are they experiencing partiality? And if they are, I'm going to, to use my voice. And this is for me. I choose to use my voice to speak into those areas where somebody may be experiencing partiality, regardless of the color of their skin. That's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> Taryn, do you have anything to add before we close up? I, I think that's a, a great way for us to end. But thank you so much, Monique and Linda, for uh, this conversation, because I know I'm definitely growing in my own understanding um, in this area and where I could best uh, fit and support the needs. But it's, it's so true that we're all really uh, have our own biases, but also um, experience partiality at different points. And we have to recognize that in other people, give people the benefit of the doubt <laughs> when needed and um, look at things through a biblical uh, perspective as we move forward. So thank you. Thank, thank you, you so guys. much, ladies. Before we go, thank Monique, you so can much. you tell us a little bit more about your work at the Center for Biblical Unity, where people can stay connected with you? Because this is just the beginning. We all have so much more to think through in, in all these areas. Yes, you can get connected with the Center for Biblical Unity on Facebook, the Center for Biblical Unity. Uh, We have a website, centerforbiblicalunity.com. Our work is there. Our trainings are there. We seek to have conversations um, just around a biblical perspective of unity. And again, like this doesn't deny that racism exists. What it says is that, you know, there's a way to be able to address issues of partiality, which racism would fall under um, from a biblical framework that doesn't bring in the separation that I see within culture right now. Um, But we do pastors trainings. We'll come out and, you know, talk to your, your leadership team. We will talk to your congregation. We will talk to your teaching staff. And just really get into conversations. How do you pursue this from a biblical perspective? What does that look like in real time? Um, Terms, you know, how are we defining terms? And then investigating our own bias because we're human, you know? So if if we're human, I, I have bias and I can have it against anyone for any reason. I may not even be aware of it. What is my unconscious bias? Let's begin to explore some of those things. So yes, we are putting out content on our Facebook page all the time just looking and really challenging people regarding um, regarding issues of race and unity. And yeah, that that's, that's a little bit about us. And if you're looking for um, an organization to support in this regard, I know Monique is um, fundraising to be able to, taking a step of faith to do this full time. Um, yes, so it's a great place if you're looking to, yes. to donate and support. I, I recommend. Come on, that. come on. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, thank you, ladies, so much. Thank Thank you. Thank you guys so much. I hope that this episode, this interview was helpful for you. As I said, 
not everything here I'm sure was perfect. I'm sure we got some things wrong. But remember, the whole goal was that we need to be listening. We need to be engaging with question, with these issues of race and justice and, and trying to figure out what would God have us do? What does that look like in our classroom, in our lives? Um, but how we do that, everything that we're hearing and reading and listening to, and we should be hearing and reading and listening, but everything we, we, we are absorbing must go back through the lens of scripture. And so I hope that you'll stick with us as we continue to work through that. And I'd love to continue the discussion over in our Facebook group, um, teachfortheheart.com slash Facebook. We can talk about it over there. We can, we can go through some of these nuances. I would love to hear your pushback, um, the things that you thought were helpful. Uh, like I said, we're all learning and growing through this process. All right, I think this is a great time to pause and pray. We forgot to do that at the end of our interview, but we can absolutely do it right now. Father, thank you so much that through your son, Jesus Christ, you have broken down the walls of separation and you have made us all one body in you. I pray that you will show us what that looks like in our churches, how we can show forth this truth in our classrooms, whether we're in a Christian school or a public school, what it looks like in our individual lives and friendships. Father, show us clearly the steps you would have us take. And in all of this, keep our thoughts grounded in the truth of the gospel. Give us confidence in what you have done through Christ and just help us see the applications of that, how to work that out in shining forth your light into our broken world. Uh, give us patience, give us grace with each other as we all um, seek to work through this and help us to sharpen each other. Um, as iron sharpens iron so that we can all learn and grow together. Father, thank you so much for each teacher. And I pray, Father, please take this interview and just use it, use it in people's lives. <laughs> let go, uh, let us forget anything that was unhelpful and absorb everything that is helpful, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you guys again so much. I hope you'll hop over on the Facebook group and continue the discussion. And feel free to email us any of your thoughts too at lynda at teachfortheheart.com. And of course, check out Monique's Center for Biblical Unity. Oh, and I almost forgot to say this episode, as well as all the links we talked about and a blog post that's in a format that you can share easily with your friends, as well as this embedded podcast, all of that you can find at teachfortheheart.com slash 151. That's teachfortheheart.com slash one five one, and I hope you will share it with your friends. Well, thank you guys again so much. I look forward to speaking with you again soon. In the meantime, keep growing, keep trusting. You really are making a difference. <laughs>